Hallelujah. It's so good to see all of you here in the house of God. Um, it's a beautiful Saturday. Um, it's, a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful week ahead. And uh, I know that God has something amazing in store for you this whole weekend. And not just this, this, this weekend, but a weekend uh, ahead and a weekend to come. Do you know that this, this morning we've got our, we've already started our Game On Family Day. Just in case you didn't know, um, this morning was our ping pong tournament. How many of you were there at a ping pong tournament? I'm just curious. All oh, right. Oh, not too bad. All right. Uh, uh, if you're here, does it mean you won or lost? Ah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All in good fun. I, I don't know if it's over. I really don't know. I have no clue. Um, but I heard it was... The finals is happening now. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're going to pray uh, uh, that somebody wins. Uh, somebody from this church wins, obviously. <laughs> But, um, you know, the ping pong tournament is just the start of our family day. So just in, case, just in case you didn't know, on the 19th of July is our family day. S-I-B-K-L family day. We're all going to come together at Tiger Arena. We're going to have so much fun. So I want to I say this. If you're not competing, if you're not like, you know, we've got tally matches, we've got football matches, we've got a lot of things lined up. But if you're not participating in any one of these things, you are still welcome to our family day. Come and enjoy the food, enjoy the presents, support yourself. I don't know, do something. There's a lot of food trucks. There's a lot of, uh, I know there's a petting zoo <clears throat> to which my kids will enjoy uh, a, a lot. So just come and be part of our family days. And I tell you what, we're going to need from every single one of you for the 19th of July because it's at Tiger Arena, Shah Alam. We are going to need everybody to tarry in prayer, to hold the rain until we go home. Alright, to have a nice cloudy, not sunny, but cloudy day until we go home. Amen? You know, before we, um, before I go into the Word of God today, we've got something very special. We've got two people that's going to say something about their lives transformed by Jesus Christ. So invite to the stage, uh, Madeline and Charlene. <clears throat> Madeline is part of our campus ministry. And Charlene is part of our Narrow Street Youth Ministry. So, they're going to tell their testimony, their story of something. Well, we've got a fan base. Check, check you guys out. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like, where's mine? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Cheer for Mats and cheer for Charlene. Uh, but cheer them on. They've got something amazing to share. Uh, Mats, why don't you start us off? Come. Thank you, Pastor Isaac. Hi everyone, my name is Madeline, I'm 19 this year and I'm a leader in campus. All my life, um, I've always wanted to prove myself. You know, I always wanted to just get a degree, get a good job and earn lots and lots of money so that I could prove to everyone that I was successful. But when I started uni, my life began to spin out of control. Things were not going my way and I was worried. I figured if I worked hard enough, I would achieve anything I set my mind to. But as I poured more and more of my energy into my studies, I saw no fruit. My fears began to consume me. I was thinking that maybe I was not smart, not capable. I was not destined for success. And I cried out to God, demanding for an answer as to why my life was this way. Maybe it's so hard for me because success was never meant for me. These doubts began to manifest itself into truths, and I believed that I was not good enough. This year, I was involved in one camp. I was part of the committee, and 
to be honest, I really, really struggled because I was balancing worrying for my studies as well as serving in camp. But when I bowed my head to pray on the second night of camp, it happened that I was looking at my name tag, Madeline Teo, and suddenly I heard a voice came to me so clearly in my head. It said, stop living your life like it's yours and stop hesitating on my commands because I gave you this life and called you as your master so that you can do my works. Let go of your fears and hesitation and be my servant. God had completely arrested my heart. I broke, I cried and I cried. Who was I to underestimate God and his plans? Who was I to impose my own desires and be selfish chasing after validation of men that can never satisfy. Truly, I am a nobody. And because God loves me and has a purpose for me, He still gave me life, not so that I can do whatever I want, but to honour the God who gave it. I fell down in fear, repenting and trembling to God. Just as I sung that I had wanted to be burned, I kept repeating to God that I wanted to be tempered and molded into something of use to God. Crazy, right? I was already defeated inside and out by the hardships of life. And in my brokenness, I prayed that I would be tried even more. But I knew my father's heart. I was scared of the things I was asking from God, but his plans are better than anything I could come up with. So the only thing I can do is submit and let God have his way. My final exam was one day after camp, so I surrendered my worries to God and took the exam. And I'm pleased to say that I achieved a second upper class as of yesterday. <laughs> Truly, I know that this is not because I served in camp, but because I know that my father has got my back. He loves me, and as long as I know that I choose God first and put him in the center of my life, it is well with me. All glory to God. Wow, come on. Come on. Thanks so much, Matt. It's, uh, that's an amazing. Charlene, come on, let's cheer on. She's a leader of youth. She's got something amazing to say as well. Come on. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Charlene. I'm turning 20 this year, and I attend campus, and uh, I'm a cell leader in youth. Uh, so earlier this year, I joined camp committee, like the one camp, and I was part of the games team, so I had to prepare for um, the games. And I tried my best to make thorough preparations, but throughout camp, I felt very anxious, and I just wanted to make sure everything went as best as it could, and to be a good steward. But I definitely felt like I was very distracted and worried. It felt like I was... Um, it felt like my worry was performative, and I was trying to please God through my worry. And... God convicted me and told me that being worried is not a good look. He told me that people won't look at a worried Christian and think, wow, look at, look at her, I wish I was like that. And he just reminded me that worry is not from him and to rest in his presence and trust that he will take care of everything and everyone around me. He reminded me that he loves and cares for the people around me much more than I do and that he is also with them on their journey and that he's in control of everything that happens. Uh, in camp, I was also convicted of how dejected I felt throughout my life. 
a lot of times, the sin in my life feels like they have already won and I'm too weak to fight against it. I wake up dejected, dreading the new day because I felt like I had lost already. But God reminded me that my sins are incomparable to His power. And I repented on the second night of camp for believing that God couldn't save me from my sins and that He left me to suffer. He reminded me that He is there with me in my pain and that I do not need to be afraid when He is with me. And most importantly, that He has already conquered all sin and the battle is won. Yeah. yeah. So I rest knowing that God will be with me every step of the way, uh, even though it will be a long one. Yeah. Amen. Come on, let's pray for the both of them. I think they're both amazing young leaders of this church. And uh, why don't we stretch our hands and let's just say a short prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for Madeline and Charlene. I just want to thank you, Father God, that you've brought them through uh, so much in their life. And I just want to thank you that they honor you and they put you first. And because they put you first, I know, Father Lord Jesus, they're going to have an amazing life ahead of them because you have a good, perfect plan and will for both their lives. So we thank you, Lord. We bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you both. Wow. Um, I'm always so encouraged to hear testimonies. Uh, I'm always so encouraged to hear how Jesus has transformed lives. You know, um, this whole weekend is going to be uh, the second week of, the second last week of the story of Luke. Um, and we're going we're gonna to see how Jesus transformed the lives of not just two people on the road to Emmaus, but Jesus also transformed the life of Zacchaeus. You know, if Jesus can transform the life of somebody back then, and Jesus can transform the life of these two wonderful, uh, lovely girls. I believe Jesus can transform all our lives. You know, we'll never be the same again. Amen? You know, so I want to, my topic of sermon today, you know, I'm nursing a, <clears throat> a sore throat. So I have a tickle in my throat that doesn't want to go away for the last two weeks. It's just annoying me. So I don't have a cough. I'm just trying to cough out this tickle. Don't know what, 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 what it is. So just bear with me in my voice. So some, some of you have already asked me, are you talking like this on purpose? I wish, I wish I could do this on purpose. Uh, but no, I'm not. I'm just uh, uh, nursing a uh, sore throat. Um, so the title of my sermon today is, Do You Yearn to Burn? Do you yearn to burn? You know, when we hear the word burn, I don't know what comes to your mind. Like, like, for me, the first thing that honestly came to my mind, maybe it's my age, right? Heartburn, right? Like, heartburn's good or not good for you? I don't know. And it's not good, right? I don't know how many of you have encountered heartburn. It just burns all the way here. Um, it's not good. You got to take something. I don't know. But uh, it's uncomfortable. But then again, some people see burn, like when you go on WhatsApp or whatever social media platform and then you see the fire emoji. I don't know if that's burn. So some people, that's not too good. But so some people, that's burn, burning with desire, You'll be burning with desire for somebody that you like, somebody that you love. So you put that, you know, the, I don't know whether the young people, but in my time, okay, in my time, I put a burning emoji because, you know, I'm burning in the desire for you. There's so much meaning for the word burn. You could um, burn because you're actually burning, uh, you're on fire, or you could just uh, be sizzling, be embered um, in, in, in your desire for whatever it may be, for food. I'm burning with desire to eat. I'm burning with desire to, you know, go and play some sports. I'm burning with desire to just go home and sleep uh, for once in my life. I'm burning with desire to do so many things, go on holiday, I'm burning. But today we're going to ask, do you yearn to burn? Because in the Bible, when we talk about burning, there's always a few different type of analogies. It's, it's either you are burned at the stake because, you know, you burn like chaffs because at the end of your life, there's judgment and you don't, you don't, you don't meet the requirements, so you burn like chaff. Or another one is you, you're burned with refining fire. 
you're put through the refining fire and God burns away the, 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 the stuff in your life that is not so pure. And what's left, it's purity before God. And But today, there is something different in the story of Luke. What does it mean to yearn to burn? There's another dimension of burn that I want to bring uh, to the table, and I will walk us all through it. Is that okay? All right? Um, so I'm going to, this is going to be a long chapter to read, but I'm going to read it all because it's the, you know, in the Bible, in the book of Luke, there are many unique parables that can only be found in the book of Luke. Today, I'm going to cover Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, but tomorrow, I really want to talk about Zacchaeus and Emmaus as well, because both stories combined brings a very um, interesting element to the Bible. But today, we're going to read... There we go. Today, we're going to read Luke chapter 24, 13 to 35. I'm very tempted to ask Pastor Sean to come up and read for me to save my voice. So I'm going to do that. Cam, I'm going to save my voice. It's service one. We're going to be cool. Pastor Sean, you read this whole 13 to 35. Is that okay? All right. Okay, let's read. Now that, some, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on, on as if he were going farther, but they urged They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. But he was at the table with them. He took bread. Sorry, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. May God bless the reading of this word. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Sean. Appreciate you. Um, this parable or the story on the road to Emmaus 
can only be found in the book of Luke. So I want to, you know, when I read this passage, I have so much to say. So I'm going to, it's not going to be complete today. Tomorrow I'm going to complete it um, because there's so much to say about this whole parable. But I want us to draw, what does it mean to, to yearn, to burn for Jesus Christ? And we're going to go through it and I want to bring you through this story, all right? So what has happened is Jesus has just been crucified. He died and then he rose on the third day. But these two men didn't understand back then what does resurrection mean. They don't understand how uh, Jesus could rise from the dead because, well, the truth be told, how many people rise from the dead, right? So they were walking and they were walking away and then Jesus met them on that road. You know, I want to ask before I start, how many of us always, how many of us pray that as we go through our lives that Jesus will meet us where we are? And I hope you pray that prayer because sometimes I pray that prayer. You know, when I, I do what I do and I go, sometimes I just go, I stop in a car, you know, on the way there or something. And I go, Jesus, you're going to have to help me because, I, you know, I just, you're going to have to show yourself to me, be, reveal yourself to me because I really want to really see you. I really want to know you. You know, if you pray that prayer, I really believe Jesus will meet you where you are. Can you imagine if you pray when you go and do your job, you say, Jesus, I'm doing my job, just my daily job, but would you meet me in this, in this, in this job? Or you, you're in school or whatever it may be. You're in your family and says, Jesus, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm downcast. I'm dejected. Would you meet me and speak to me? And do you know why he will? Because these two men that rocked on the road to Emmaus, they were not prime ministers. They were not, you know, they were not Caesar. They were not top generals. They were not like leaders of big churches and big countries and what, whatever nots. They were not. There was just two ordinary men and we only know the name of one, which is Cleopas. We don't even know the name of the other. And these were the two ordinary men and I took comfort when I read this to think Jesus will talk to me even though I am a nobody in this world. He will still meet me. And if He will meet me and if He will meet these two men, He will meet you where you are. All we need to do is just ask, Jesus, will you meet us where we are? You know, I want to I go into this. Now that same day, which is the third day after the crucifixion, two of them were walking to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened, which is the crucifixion, the death, and, and, and the tomb and everything. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. You know, this, is, this tells us a few things. Were the two men excited and looking for Jesus? Or were the two men lost hope, walked away from Jerusalem? They were walking away. You see, not everybody in this life has, you know, full of excitement, full of, you know, full of zest for God. Sometimes in life, we will meet some point of disappointment. We will meet some season of discouragement. We will meet some season of dejection. We will meet that season and we, we tend to walk away from the epicenter. We tend to walk away from the centrality of Jesus Christ. And these two men, they were walking away from Jerusalem. And they were about the seventh mile already almost into Emmaus when Jesus walked with them. And that's encouraging to me because Jesus will walk with you. No matter what season you are in your life, 
No matter what you're going through, Jesus will walk with you. He will not only walk with you if you're the only, if you're the only good Christian that says, I'm going to make Jesus the center of my life every day, every hour, every minute. You know, when I, take a, when I go to the toilet, you know, I'm Jesus still my center. You know, when I send my kids to school and they're screaming in the car on the way to school, Jesus is still my center. You know, when my boss is upset at me and I, all I want to do is tender resignation, Jesus is still my center. Hallelujah. If you're that kind of Christian, Jesus will be with you. But Jesus will also be with you if you're, you know, you're in a season of discouragement. And you just, you just sometimes you just feel like walking away and you're talking to your friends and go, oh man, yeah, yeah, Jesus saved you. I know. What about me? You know, Jesus never saved me, never encouraged me. And Jesus walked up to the both of them and walked along with them. But the interesting part is, but they were kept from recognizing Jesus. They were kept. Now, I pondered over this for so I kept asking Jesus, why did you? not reveal yourself to these two men. What was, what was so wrong? You were already in your glorified body. You have resurrected. Why couldn't you just have appeared before the two men and then just say, lo and behold, I am the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been talking about. It is me, right? I am the one. Why couldn't you do that? Why did you speak to them as if you're playing with their feelings, you know, walk with them, asking them questions to which you already know the answers. What are you discussing, guys? Like, you know, if I knew it was Jesus, I'm like, but you know, you know, why do you have to ask me? Why? And that, that question intrigued me for the last eight months since, we, you know, since I knew I was studying the book of Luke. And I, and I believe this is the reason why. I really believe this is the reason why. You see, these two men knew about Jesus but they did not recognize him. This is how I know that these two men knew about Jesus. When Jesus asked them, what were you discussing? And they answered this. Okay, there was this guy called Jesus. Wait, by the way, are you a visitor? Are you the only one who do not know what has happened in this whole place in the last, you know, three days? Okay, but since you asked, all right, there's this guy called Jesus. He's a prophet. He's powerful in the word and deed. He was sentenced by the chief priests and the rulers of the land. He was crucified on the cross. He was the hope of Israel because Israel wanted him to be the redeemer. He was the hope. On the third day, the women cannot find his body. And others also went to the tomb and not be able to find their body. And as soon as they described this to Jesus, Jesus rebuked them. Oh, it's amazing. I started this by saying, Jesus is going to walk with you. Jesus is going to, you know, journey alongside you. But as soon as you open your mouth, right, Jesus rebukes them. Now why? I'll tell you why. Don't worry. It's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. I'll tell you why. You see, these two men, they knew all the exploits of Jesus. They knew all the humanly exploits of Jesus, but did they really know Him? There is a few key information that they missed out in this whole thing. They missed out the fact that Jesus resurrected from the grave. They missed that out. You see, what was Jesus' rebuke to these two men? Jesus, Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus, you know, <clears throat> Jesus said, are you, are you so foolish? that you don't know and you don't understand scriptures, that the Son of Man have to suffer all this in order for His resurrection to come to pass? You see, you can say a lot of things about Jesus. You can say Jesus is a good man, He's a good shepherd, He's a good prophet. You can even say Jesus helped me and He answered my prayer one time in His life. But as soon as you do not acknowledge that He's the incarnation of the Most High, He is not just man, but He's also God. As soon as you do not understand 
understand the magnificence of Jesus Christ, then you do not know this Jesus. And, and, and they, they rightly pointed out everything about Jesus, but they missed out one thing, that He is the resurrected Saviour. And Jesus says, you see your life with normal eyes and normal lenses, your humanly fleshly lens, but you do not carry a spiritual vision. They were kept from recognizing Jesus because sometimes in our lives, when we do not carry a spiritual lens or a spiritual vision, we cannot understand or comprehend or see who Jesus really is. We just can't. Sometimes we go about our lives, right? In our family, in our work, our school, our health, whatever it may be, our finances, our investments, whatever it may be, we see all these things as it is. But do you know that everything in this life is spiritual? Everything is spiritual. Everything flows in Him and everything flows through Him and everything flows because of Him. And if you fail to see Jesus Christ in your family, you fail to see Jesus Christ in your work or your school or your finances, you fail to see Jesus Christ, then Jesus will say to you exactly what He would say to these two men. How are you so foolish that you cannot perceive that all Scriptures is for the fulfillment of the Son of Man that He may die and suffer so that He can be resurrected again and sit on the right hand of the Father so that He can intercede on your behalf and save your life. How could you not understand this? And that is why they were kept. How many of us sometimes we struggle to see Jesus in our situation? You may have an argument, you may have whatever it may be, but we struggle to see Jesus. Or sometimes we even forget to see Jesus. Don't be like these two men. We only see things with our eyes in the natural, but we fail to see things in the spiritual. So my first question to everybody is, do you want to have spiritual vision? You're going to need to know, and you're going to need to recognize that when you are part of your family, your children is your, are your spiritual heritage. They're not just children that you can, you know, have fun with and everything. Yeah, great, have fun. But they're your spiritual heritage. Do you not know that the job that you have, you are a, a steward, a spiritual steward unto Jesus Christ? Do you not know that if you pray, God, open up my eyes and help me see where you want me and what you want me to say in my workplace. And there are quite a few stories I can tell, but Workplace Weekend is coming up soon, and we're going to tell all our workplace um, stories at our Workplace Weekend, so stay tuned for the next month when it's coming up. I can tell you stories where people just go, I can see that you are a Christian. Why didn't you do that financial thing? Because I'm a Christian. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And sometimes when we pray that kind of prayer, like when you go to school and your friends are doing whatever it is and you say, I won't bully, I won't cuss, I won't join you in these kind of activities. Why? Because you're a loser? No, because I'm a Christian. And I'm, I'm always okay to be a loser for Christ. As long as it's for Christ, I'm totally fine. That's always okay. You know, I always pray, always, in my work and in my family. What is it that you want me to carry, God? What is this spiritual vision that you can open up my eyes. You know, I, I, I came to this stage today, I wanted to share a story, but the story has not yet f 
reached its fulfillment. So one day I'll come back and finish this and say the story, but I can't say today, even though it's, a, it's quite a nice story about my family and how God spoke to me about how you should look at your family through a spiritual eyes because something was happening and it's not finished yet. I'll finish it soon and then I'll come back and tell you the story in the future. But I guarantee you this, we need to carry a spiritual vision. I, I have another point and I want to continue. And I pray that as we do life, when we read scriptures, that if somebody was penning down our lives, they won't say, Isaac Ling's eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus Christ. Won't that be sad? I think that will be sad for me. And I think that will be sad for us all. So let us open up our eyes. But let me move on first. Then some of the companions went to the tomb. All right, companions of the two men. And the woman said, I did not, they don't see Jesus. And Jesus rebuked them. How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets that have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. I really love verse 27. And beginning with Moses. You see, when Jesus rebukes you, which, by the way, He disciplines and rebukes those He loves. So if you are rebuked by Jesus. You are disciplined by Jesus. Take heart. Take courage because He loves you. If He does not rebuke you, does not discipline you, then I think you should, you should worry a little bit because it means that, hey, you know, maybe you're, you're not the one that Jesus loves so much, right? So take heart when He rebukes you, all right? When He, when he corrects you. You know, I'm, I'm corrected by God half the time in my life anyways, but I love this part. After He rebukes, what does Jesus do? Jesus began to explain Scripture to them. See, he will, Jesus will never leave you and just scold you and just discipline you and leave you as it is. That's, that's not, that's, that's punishment, by the way. That's not discipline. There's a huge difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is when, you know, you're, you're, you're scolded, you're, you're, you're rebuked, and then I leave you there because that's the end of it. That's punishment. Like if you're punished for all eternity, full stop. That's done. But discipline is where I rebuke. I will correct, I will scold, I will tell you where you went wrong, but I will also now begin to tell you what is right. And that is how God disciplines. And that's how I want to show, that's how Jesus disciplines these two men. So He says how foolish you are, and then He says, I tell you what, now I'm beginning to explain Scripture to you. And He explains beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and in my mind, I go, wow, that must have been a very long walk. I was like, wow, he went through the whole Old Testament in seven miles. I'm like, that, that has to be the most exciting hike in the whole of history of mankind. I would have loved to be on that hike. And I tell you honestly, one week ago, um, as I was finishing up my sermon, uh, uh, polishing it up, and I, I came across this verse again, and I, I asked Jesus in my heart this question. I said, Jesus, I'm a little jealous. I really wish you could sit down with me and start explaining scriptures to me. And you can begin with Adam. How about that, right? I give you more chance. Begin with Adam. I would love to learn at the feet of Jesus. Please explain scriptures to me. And I go, why can't, why, why is it only these two? Come on, Jesus. You know, you're already glorified. Come on, appear next to me right now and teach me all about the scriptures. Come on, I'm waiting. And I, I prayed that prayer. You can call me foolish. You can call me idealistic, whatever it may be. But one week ago, I really did. I said, Jesus, I really wish you can just appear next to me. And come on, let's, let's study scriptures together. And, and teach me, teach me. Because I really want to learn scriptures. I pray that 
T-minus one week, T-minus six days, five days, four days, three days, two days, one day. And then I go, okay, it's time to preach. I don't have an awesome testimony. I really wish I could stand here. I says, in the middle of the night, the angel of God appeared. <laughs> and he took my Bible. It flew across the room. And Jesus opened up scriptures. And Jesus sat me down. And for a seven-mile hike, he explained scripture to me. And then I would say, now I'm going to explain to you. I really wish... But that didn't happen. You know why? And one morning, when I had breakfast with my wife at a mamak that was just renovated near SMCC. So we were excited. We were like, ooh, a mamak being renovated. Nice, clean. Nice, clean mamak is something, a mamak that I approve of. All right? Um, so I went there. We were having breakfast. And we were eating our food. Whatever we were eating, can't remember. Um, and then I was still praying. You know, God, Jesus, explain this scripture to me. So I can have something cool to say on Saturday. All right, explain it. Come on, Jesus. And Jesus actually rebuked me. He says, what are you talking about? What about prayer is this for one week? I says, well, it's a genuine prayer. Don't rebuke me. It's a genuine prayer. He says, what are you praying? I've sent you someone better. I already sent you someone better. Why are you asking for a, you know, a physical human Jesus when I send you someone better? I says, who? And Jesus says, are you daft? Are you foolish? I says, maybe. You possibly, Who? The Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? And in the middle of breakfast, um, I, 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 she didn't know, and then I couldn't finish my, my Maggie. I just, okay, I passed it to her because I was being rebuked by God. So I, was just, I just passed it to her. I said, you finish my food for me. Um, but then I go, Jesus, you're right. And I go, every time I open scripture and I'm excited, every time I read and something new pops up and some deeper meaning and deeper everything. And I want to say, I really wish I would say I go through all the commentaries to bring this sermon to you, but everything I say today is really from the revelation of God and me and my quiet time with Jesus. And Jesus says, I've given you someone better. Number one, I'm living inside of you. Every day when you open scriptures, you're reading who I am and I will commune with you. And I've given you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will illuminate scripture because every scripture is God-breathed. And if you read and you will open up your eyes and I now give you something better than these two men from Emmaus. So don't long for the day of Emmaus. You have something better now that I'm walking with you, I'm journeying with you, and I'm explaining scriptures to you. And don't you think that every now and then when you open up the Bible, something new pops up, something exciting pops up? And I say, yes, Jesus, I repent of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for living with me and, and the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Thank you. But I still wished you would appear as the angel of God. <laughs> I still wish, so don't be mad at me, that you would just, the Bible will float to me and then you would speak to me seven miles to Ipoh or something. Um, I would walk all the way to Ipoh if you're explaining Adam to Malachi to me. But the question I have for everyone is, <clears throat> do you want scripture to come alive? Do you want to have spiritual vision? Do you want scriptures to come alive? Do you know in this day and age, as we grow closer and closer to what I can only assume is the end times, all right? We are going closer... By the way, just in case you're like, really? Yes, the end time is coming. So every day that passes, we are growing closer. Is that okay? All right. Um, so every day as we go closer to the end times, you know, I really believe that the ingredient for all of us to survive the end times, if it happens in all our lifetimes, I don't know, we don't know. If it happens, do you know what that ingredient is? You need to have a bank within you. So every time I, I, I look at what's happening in the world and I always ask Jesus, how are we supposed to survive this end times? It's so, you know, it's, it's quite scary. How? And Jesus said, if your brother would fight brother, father would fight 
uh, uh, son, you know, uh, Christian will fight Christian and everybody will scatter. I said, how are we going to survive? Jesus said, there's only one way. When you really know who I am inside of you and you keep me inside of you and scripture is always alive in your heart, that is the only way. When you spend time with me in the secret place, nobody can take me away from you as long as you are with me in that secret place, in that shelter of the Most High. And I say, wow. And I tell you, you know, we really need, as this generation, doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, we need Scripture to come alive to us. It needs to be more exciting than the latest AI out there. It needs to be more exciting than Thread versus Twitter, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, this side of the room is laughing. All right. It's okay. We'll get there. You will see it in the news very soon. All right? All right. Um, It's got to be more exciting than the latest investment portfolio or property portfolio. The Word of God has to be more exciting than any of this and it has to come alive to you. Because without the Word of God and without spiritual vision, we are physically rotting away. We need to have these two. And with these two, we continue to walk with Jesus. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going further. You know, this Jesus is really playing with these two men. First, you know, he didn't allow them to see him, and then now he's pretending to walk away, but actually he wants to come in. So his, I think Jesus is, a, is Chinese a little bit, <clears throat> right? Do you, want, do you want some tea? No, 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 but yeah, I really want tea. I'm so thirsty, but no, 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 no. It's okay, it's okay. Do you want some water? No, 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 it's okay. Sure, you sure? Yes, you sure? Since you asked for the fifth time, I would really love some water. Come and just finish it, one shot, because you're really thirsty. I really believe he must be his, some part of him is Chinese. But of course he is. He's Jesus, right? So he really wanted to go in, but he just pretended to go further. So that's a, that's a trick, guys and girls, if you want to date somebody, all right? You want to date, but then you pretend you don't want to. But then they urge him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in. So he said, oh, now that you asked, all right, I will go in to stay with you. I love it. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then, I think I missed verse 31. I will read verse 31 because it's the key. Verse 31 says, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. When he was at the table with them in home, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So first from not recognizing Jesus to now recognizing Jesus. What happened is the key the breaking of bread. But that is not just the only key. Something happened before. The explanation of scriptures to these two men, (coughs) coupled with the breaking of bread in the home, their eyes were opened. You know, of course, the breaking of bread takes the analogy of communion. How many of us, you know, you just love to dine with Jesus? You know, how many of us, you even understand the phrase, like, I want to eat with Jesus. I want to dine with Jesus. How many of us, we understand that? Okay, yes, I dine with Jesus every day. You know, we've got a plate of a mush bush, and then we dine with Jesus every day. You know, we take out some cheese, a platter, or whatever it may be. You know, what does it mean to dine with Jesus, to eat with Jesus? You know, to me, it's very simple. It is the consummation of the Word of God. It's just the 
daily consummation of the Word of God. And I want to explain. Why do you think when Jesus broke bread, gave it to them, then their eyes were open? What do you think? Give you, give you some time. <clears throat> if I have a whiteboard now, I'll be taking, taking, taking answers. Why do you think? I'll give you the answer soon. I'll give you this quote first. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. On top of that is the, is the Greek, and I will attempt to read it. <clears throat> uh, it's ophthalmos dianoigo epigynosko. That's in the Greek. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. And in the Greek, if you translate it in the full, it actually says this. Their eyes were completely opened and they came to full comprehension, not comprehend. They came to full comprehension of Him. Why do you think it had to happen with the breaking of bread? Why didn't it happen when He was explaining scriptures walking along the road? Why didn't it happen then? Because business must happen over a meal on the table, is it? <laughs> Why didn't it happen? It could have happened, right? On the road to Emmaus. And then their eyes were open and then it disappeared. But you know, He came into the home. He sat down. And I, and, and I truly believe this. There's, a, there's so many reasons. I want to tell you all because I've got time. I think Jesus wants to come into our hearts and He wants to dine with us and He wants to open up scriptures to us so that we can understand how amazingly spiritual everything is. I think He wants to dine with us in our secret place at home. I think He wants to have a meal with you and me, you and I. I think He wants to just come into your homes and just eat with you and have a good conversation with you. That's what I think. And I think the first step in this story is the invitation in. You've got to invite Jesus to your home. So there's a difference. You can come to church, like the two men walking to Emmaus. You can come to church. You can hear about Jesus. You can even have Jesus explaining scriptures to you. You can go to cell. You can, you can go online. And right now, there is so much spiritual content online. You just Google any Christian content. There is so much, whether on any platform. All my platforms are full of spiritual content. That's just the truth. Until I go, okay, that's, that's, that's enough. I don't want to be on social media for a little while. Right? Um, it's just saturated with spiritual content. But we've got so much spiritual content. And we can consume it all. But our eyes may not be opened until we invite Jesus into our lives and we begin to dine with Him and eat Scripture for breakfast and, 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 and begin to, to linger on Scripture and what does it really, really, really mean? Have you invited Jesus in? Do you know that it's a daily invitation? It's a daily invitation to invite Jesus in, especially if you've just lost your temper. Invite Jesus in. Especially if you've done something wrong, invite Jesus in. Especially if you've forgotten Jesus for the last six days, invite Jesus in. It's a daily invitation to invite Jesus to come into our lives, to sit at our tables. We open up one verse, just one verse, and then say, Jesus, will you explain this to me? You dine with me, Jesus. That's number one. Number two, there's uh, two more reasons. Number two, why I really believe when He broke bread, their eyes were opened when they could not recognize Jesus. You see, when you walk, I believe your hands are on your side if you're a normal human being, okay? You'll be walking and you'll be talking 
animated maybe, whatever it may be. Or maybe like Jesus, you know, maybe not animated. He doesn't have to be. He's walking. But when you sit on the table and I take a loaf of bread and I have to break it and then I give a piece to you, what do you see? I asked Jesus this question and Jesus says, they saw the nails on my hand when I personally gave that bread to them. And when they saw the nails on my hands, they realized I am not an ordinary person. I am Jesus Christ. And it's the same when you read onwards from Luke 24, because when Jesus appeared before the disciples, what was the first thing He did to them? He showed them the nails on His hands. So I believe when Jesus broke bread, it was an intimate moment, and then the people began to see, wow, this is my Savior because I'm dining with Him. I cannot tell you how many times in my life when I'm just randomly reading Scripture and then Jesus, something just jumps out of the page as if it's talking to me and it's convicting me from the inside out because Scripture is a living Word of the Most High. It is Jesus Christ Himself. So I believe when they broke bread, they saw the nails and they go, my gosh, that's Jesus. And then He disappeared. And there's a third reason. Third reason for me. You know, when Jesus was explaining, remember He says, explaining from Moses to all the prophets? He was explaining Moses. And He was saying, when I save the Israelites from Egypt, before they left Egypt, what did I institute? The Passover. You make the unleavened bread. You eat the unleavened bread. And then Jesus says, what do you do every year from then until now? You celebrate the Passover. What is the Passover? You take the bread, you break the bread, and then you consume the bread because you remember that God saved you from the, Israelite, uh, from the Egyptians. God saved you from slavery and He brought you out. And that is the analogy of bread, the unleavened bread that God has uh, held the Israelites all the way from Moses, uh, uh, all the way until Jesus' time. And then Jesus says, remember before I was crucified, I had communion with all of you and I broke bread with all of you. And when I broke bread, I'm almost telling all of you that this is my body broken for you. But you don't understand it yet because you can't see that Scripture is me. I am the fulfillment of Scripture. So when I broke that bread for you and I... Con you know, institute communion for the disciples and, and I believe a, a few more people. That is me. And then when he broke bread, he says, and on that cross, when that bread was broken, it was me, my body that was broken for you. And these are the nails to prove it. And I truly believe, because it's scriptural, if we all go to heaven right now, we rapture all to heaven right now, when we see Jesus face to face, we will still be able to see the nails on His hands to remind us all that He saved us from our sins. So His body, that is the bread that was broken for us, and in my head, in my head, okay, this is not scripture, but in my head, I believe Jesus said, and He broke the bread, just in case you still don't get it, I am the bread of life. Broke it, gave it to them, aha moment, He disappeared. That's, that's, that's my version, all right? If I, if I were to write the Bible, obviously not. Uh, I didn't write the Bible. Um, but that's my version. I am the bread of life. And what does it mean for us? 
that we need to fully comprehend Him, that everything in our lives revolves around Jesus Christ, and that is inescapable. And we are going to need to recognize who Jesus is and how important He is in our lives. I'll give you a few examples. How many of us, and I've been, I've been praying this for the last four months in, in, my, in my prayer time, God, give us the voice for this generation. What is the voice that we will carry for this generation? And I pray for many generations. Every 20 years, I'll pray. Every 20 year gap, age gap, I'll pray. What is the voice from zero to 20? What is that voice of that generation? Because I truly believe God has a prophetic voice. Help me understand, Jesus, what are you saying to this generation? And then the young adults, what are you saying to the young adults? What is their voice for this generation for the young adults? And of course, and above, and I want to ask, do you not see that God called you for a purpose bigger than yourself? What is the voice for your generation? What is God asking you to pray for in your generation? Because if you do not pray for your generation, then who Who's going to pray for you? Who is going to call out the prophetic voice of your generation? If it is not you, if it is not me, we're going to have to call. And I ask God, God, I want to break bread with you because I want you to open up my eyes so that I can fully comprehend what you are doing in this generation. You see, we have, there, every generation, there is always seasons of how the Spirit of God will move in the entire world. Alright, there's, there's season. There is a season for mega rally, evangelistic rallies. There was a season in this whole entire globe, everybody was doing it from India to Africa to China, all the way to America, everywhere, everybody was doing it. Then there was another season or something else, then there was another season or something else, and we've got to ask God, now God, after, the, after COVID has happened, after the pandemic, what is, what is the Spirit of God moving in this generation? Open up my eyes to see. And you got to need to pray, God, Open up my eyes to see what are you doing in my family. At the end of the day, church is a, it's a family unit. You can't escape. Every church is a family unit. What do you think God is moving in your family? How do you think God is moving? What do you want to pray into in your family? It's quite important. Is it the spirit of love? Reconciliation? Is it a season of reconciliation for your family? Is it a season of honor in your family? Is it a season of more love? Is it a season of is it a season of outreach for your family? What is that season that you need to pray for in your family? And that you can only get it if you commune with the Most High and He will break bread and He will open up your eyes and you will come to a full understanding of what He wants to do for this generation. I believe coming out of the pandemic, the most important generation to pray for is the next gen. That's me. Why? But Pastor Isaac, why? Why can't we pray for the retirees, the seniors? Why can't we pray for adults? I tell you why. I believe in my heart of hearts, I still, I've said it before at the beginning of the year, I'll say it again now, I still believe it, that the adults or even some young adults, if you're older young adults, adults and the seniors, you have gone through more than COVID and your faith is still strong. It's still strong. You have gone through World War II. If you're older, World War I, whoever you are, okay? You've gone through World War II. You've gone through, you know, some 
tragedy, internal tragedy in Malaysia. You have gone through the financial collapse one, financial collapse two of Malaysia. You have gone through the property collapse in Malaysia. You have gone through so much. You are still here. You are still strong. And just so that we can open up our eyes and God only told me this last year, we have to pray for the next gen because the COVID pandemic is the first worldwide disaster that this generation is experiencing. This is the first. So we cannot go to them and say, you know, you guys, you, you know, don't know how to handle COVID. Your faith is not strong enough. You're not good enough. We can't because this is the first. And in their first trial, it's either they stand stronger or they fall. And in this generation, if they fall, and maybe in five years' time, eight years' time, ten years' time, whatever God is going to send into this whole world, whatever is going to happen to us, if they cannot survive COVID, we cannot survive the next big thing that is out there. What is the next big thing? I don't know. doesn't matter. But the call for this generation is to build the next gen strong so that in 20 years' time, I can say again, this generation, we already survived COVID, la, this, la, that, la, that, la, la. We are strong. Now we need to pray for the next generation, whatever it may be. And that's the cry of this generation. That's my cry of my heart. And I just want to call all of you to just pray along. Just believe in the next gen because it is our sons and daughters that are at stake. It is their lives that are at stake. And we need to pray that our eyes are completely opened. And I want to end with this. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the roof, on the road, and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together, saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. This is the best part for me. When Jesus explained scriptures, they were burning from within. They didn't, their eyes were not open yet, but they were burning from within. I want to ask, how many of us here, when we read scriptures, it comes alive and it burns us from within. It convicts us from within. Because we're going to need to hold a conviction that is unshakable for the things that are to come in the age that is to come. Because if some of us here, we believe that we're approaching end time at rapid speed, then we're going to need Scripture to burn with inside of us so that we can stand strong in the end times that are to come. Some of us here may not believe, okay, this is not the time of the end, time, end times yet. It's going to be in the future, in the future. We still need to have a Scripture that burns us from within. That every time we open Scripture, we're not bored. Every time we open Scripture, we don't go, Oh my goodness, another four, four verses to read. How much time do I have left? Oh my, 20 minutes? Okay, you know, we, that's not the attitude. We need to burn from within. We need to want to read scripture. We need to read it again and again and again and consume it until it becomes real to us, until it becomes, oh, it's so tangible to us, until we are so convicted. And do you know how I know that these two men, when they were burning, they were convicted? And do you know how you would know whether you are convicted when you are reading Scripture? Do you know how? Verse 33. In the English, it's not so amazing, but in the Greek, it's much better. Because in the Greek it says, they immediately got up and at once went to Jerusalem 
to talk to the disciples. Immediately. It means that Scripture takes precedence over food. They were hungry. They walked for seven miles. They were digesting Scripture with this unknown man that was walking with them, trying to explain Scripture. I am sure they were hungry. I'm sure they were thirsty. They were not intentionally trying to fast. But the moment their eyes were open and they fully comprehend who Jesus is in their life, they could not even finish their meals. They got up and began to tell other people, this is my Jesus. This is my Jesus because the passion of Scripture cannot be contained and that's how we know we are burning from inside. Do you yearn to burn? Do you yearn this burning of the Scripture where your conviction is airtight that you know and you know without a shadow of a doubt that I belong to Jesus Christ and I will tell of His great mighty acts to my generation and the next. Do you burn from within? Can you... Are you excited about the things of Jesus? Are you passionate about the things of Jesus? Because I tell you what, if the answer is yes, praise God. If the answer is no, we want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today because we cannot afford this generation, which is every generation that lives right now in 2023, we cannot afford this generation to be lackadaisical in our scriptural integrity. If we take the Bible just not seriously, then the next generation will take it even more not seriously. Then the next, next generation will take it even, even more not seriously. Bible literacy is one of the... What's the word I'm, I'm looking for? The one of the scariest movements in America now that is scaring the churches in America is Bible illiteracy. That we are birthing a generation of Christians who know about the word but do not know the Word. And we can't afford that. We need to be Bible literate. We need to know Scripture so much so that it convicts us, that our children looks at us and Bible ooze from us. And, and they won't run from Scripture. We need to be so convicted that the world out there sees us that we live out our values with integrity, uncompromising. Because when the end time comes, and we're going to 40 days and we're going to pray, and when the end time comes, if the end time comes in our lifetime or not, if it comes in our lifetime, are you prepared? If it does not come in our lifetime, are you preparing the ones who should be prepared? Therefore, you need to be prepared. Do you yearn to burn? Do you want to commune with Jesus? Do you want Jesus to walk with you? Do you want Jesus to explain Scripture to you and come alive? Do you want Jesus to break bread? Give it to you. Then our eyes are opened. You know, sometimes I pray. I've been praying for a few people. I, I can't explain the situation. So, no permission yet, okay? been praying for a few people that I don't understand why you don't understand Scripture. I just don't understand. And, and now I go, maybe it's because they don't recognize Jesus yet. And then I ask God, what is the one thing I need to pray for them in order to recognize who you are? And Jesus said, they need to invite me in and dine with me. Then their eyes will open.
So I want to encourage you. If you're praying for a loved one, if you're praying for a friend, if you're praying for somebody, that you, you ask yourself, actually, after 20 years, I still don't understand why you don't understand about Christianity and my faith. I'm healed, also you don't understand. God breakthrough, also you don't understand. Pray answered, also you don't understand. So the answer is this. You are now going to pray that they invite Jesus in. And when they just, Jesus, come in and speak to me, let's just like Zacchaeus, come in, speak to me. When he dines, he will open up our eyes and we will instantly recognize him. And when we recognize him in that split second, I believe the burning desire for us to talk about Jesus will never stop. We will sing a thousand, a thousand and a thousand hallelujahs now and forevermore. So I tell you what, I want to pray. I want to pray that we have a yearning to burn for Scripture in this church. We're not in, you see, I, I believe I can represent leadership by saying, in this church, we're, we're, I don't think we're interested to be the biggest church in this whole entire world. Am, am I right? No, yeah. yeah. Pastor Chu is like, no, we're not interested. Yeah, I, I'm also not interested to be the biggest church in the entire world. I'm not interested in having like the most awesome, glamorous events in the entire world. I don't, I don't believe that's what the leadership is in, interested in. But I tell you what the leadership is interested in. A Bible literate, loving, passionate, excited disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we want as a church. And it doesn't matter now if the church is small, church is big, church is here in PJ or the church is somewhere else. It doesn't matter because we are a church that is a Bible literate, loving, excited, passionate, burning for Jesus Christ. Always burning for Jesus Christ. So can I just invite you all to stand? I want to pray. <coughs> and if you want to just say, Jesus, it's me, you don't have to come forward. If you say, Jesus, it's me, I want to burn for you. I want, I want you to explain scriptures to me and I want to be excited about the Bible. I want it. It's me. I'm long, I want you to come into my home and break bread with me and open up my eyes of my understanding so that I can fully comprehend you. And if that is you, could you raise your hands? I just want to pray for you. God is coming to my home. I invite you in. I, will, I, I, I was a Christian. I've been a Christian for 45 years. I've been a Christian for 15 years. But I still want to invite you in because there's so much about Scripture that I still do not know. I still do not know. Father Lord Jesus, Father God, you see our hearts. Oh, Father God, we welcome you in today. We say, Jesus, you're, you're welcome into our hearts. You're welcome into our spirits. Come in, Jesus. Would you walk with me? Walk with me on the road to Emmaus. Explain Scripture to me, Father God, so that I'll be burning for you. I don't want to be a lackadaisical Christian. I don't want to be a Christian that just, you know, it doesn't really matter, left or right. But Father God, I want to be a passionate Christian. I want to immediately get up and talk about Jesus. I want to immediately get up and drop whatever I'm doing. I want to drop my games. I want to drop my food. I want to drop my, whatever it may be. I want to drop it so that I can go and talk about Jesus because it's so exciting. I can't stop talking about it, Father God. So Lord Jesus, I pray, Father God, that there is a yearning to burn in us, Father God, here in this service. Father God, that there is this, a hunger. There's going to be an appetence, Father God, to burn for your scripture, to burn for your word, so that Lord Jesus, we are going to be amazing, excited, passionate, 
burning with desire, burning with yearning disciples of you, Lord Jesus Christ, so that come what may, the winds will come, the waves will come, but we will stand strong in our firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. Father Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are a good God. I pray, Father Lord Jesus, that you open up our eyes right now of our understanding. Open it, Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can see and even the book of Numbers is interesting. Even the book of Leviticus and Obadiah is going to jump out into our hearts and say, Wow, you're speaking to me, Jesus. Transform my life. These two men were transformed forevermore. I pray, Father God, you transform our lives. Do a work within us, Father God. So I pray for Lord Jesus, oh, that we're going to open Scripture, that we're going to sing that we're going to praise, that we're going to just, mm, we're just going to burn for you. So in the name of Jesus, be with us, cover us. Praise your name, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close the service. I was like, okay, we're going to sing a song, we're going to sing a song, we're now going to sing a song. I'm going to close the service. Is that okay? I'm close to service. So thank you, Father. May your face always shine upon us. God, are going in and going out. And as we have dinner later on, Father Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that we have the most amazing dinner, talking about the Word of God and nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Have a great weekend. Have a great Sunday ahead.